We're going to bow together in prayer now. We're going to come into our study of God's Word, and we're going to get at it here. Lord, open our hearts, our minds to the truth of your Scripture today. This is impossible apart from the work of your Spirit in our lives because we are holy other than you. You're, you're, you're so holy and you are so right and we have our sin natures and we get off track so easily. By the power of your Spirit, minister your word into our lives that we might better understand you and know your will for our lives. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have turned an important corner in our study of the book of Romans, last major corner that we're turning in this book. We've been through some of the early chapters, and the early few chapters were particularly about how sinful mankind is and how dreadful condition we are. What a dreadful condition we are in. We're really in trouble before a holy and a perfect God. Then starting at chapters 4, 5, 6, and going on for a bit there, is God's marvelous gospel message to us, his plan of salvation that was rich more than we can comprehend, so rich it could save sinners like us. We've plowed through those passages, and then we got into chapters uh, 9, 10, and 11, where he continued to unfold the details of his plan. He had a particular people, the Jewish people, and he brought a Savior through them, and they rejected him and all of that. And we've finally gotten to chapter 12 that begins with the word, therefore, as a result of his rich gospel to us in the midst of our sin, as a result of that, we are therefore to give ourselves totally to him in day-to-day day living, this is our reasonable thing to do. Today we start in chapter 12, verse 3. We are into this final section of the book of Romans that says, in light of everything he's done in the first 11 chapters, now live that gospel in your day-to-day life. You're in a world that does not understand him. They need to see the power of the gospel and how it changes lives. Here's how we live, chapter 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. That's the section we are now in. It began, as we looked at last week, with our commitment of ourselves totally to him. This is reasonable for us to do, to give in light of all he's done for us, to give ourselves to him. Today, we come to verses 3 and following, which talks now getting beyond our relationship with God and having dedicated, committed ourselves to him. Now, how do we live with each other? Some of us are easy to live with. Some maybe not so easy. How do we do this? And in these verses, Paul begins to say, here's the difference salvation makes in your life. And he particularly starts today with our relationships with one another and how we work together in the body of Christ. I'm going to read in Romans chapter 12, starting at verse 3. This is our text today, these few verses. For by the grace given me, as I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us have one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, 
and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. May God add his blessing to the teaching of his word. So you and I are part of one body, the text says, and we each have gifts, the text says. You have gifts, I have gifts, and we're all to be using those gifts. This is the result of salvation in Christ, his rich salvation that's conquered the sin in our lives and is making us more and more like Jesus every day as he's taught in the first 11 chapters. It makes a difference in the way we live now. This is the final section of the book of Romans. As we begin this section today, starting in chapter 3, there is a challenge to you. It's your personal challenge, where you fit in the body and how you are to conduct yourself. It's all wrapped up here in verse 3 of the text. Uh, The first verse, the challenge to you, the text says, For by the grace given me, that's Paul speaking, I say to every one of you, to you individuals, not to think more highly than you ought of yourselves. I have underlined that section, one of three underlines in this passage. You're not to think more highly than you ought of yourself, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Let's zero in on the challenge to us personally. First of all, the word think here Grace given to me, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Now, in the English text here, as you read the verse, you'll see that the word think is used twice in this passage. Actually, in the Greek text, it's used four times. It is the key word in the verse. It is obvious this is what Paul is keying in on. This word think means that you have an accurate estimate of yourself. You have a humble, a realistic view of yourself. An honest assessment of your gifts and the depth of your giftedness. It should be said that this does not come naturally. Most of us have the tendency to either think of our spiritual gifts, our gifts, our talents in general. We think of our spiritual gifts in an overinflated way. We think of ourselves that we're better than we really are. Or we go the other direction and we think, well, I'm really not that good. You see, it's not really normal to have an accurate assessment of yourself. And what Paul is going to encourage in this verse is that you learn to measure the accuracy of your giftedness by leaning on God with the faith that he's giving you, not having a higher view than you should, but a sober judgment. You're going to learn in the body of Christ to have a more accurate representation of what your real giftedness is. If you are just thinking, I am very gifted, and you're not testing that against God's people, and you're not hearing what God's saying in your life, you probably do not have an accurate assessment of your giftedness. 
You see, the natural tendency for many of us is to over-exaggerate, that is, to become somewhat boastful. Paul is encouraging humility in this passage, sober judgment. In the world that I live of preachers and young preachers mentoring them along, most of us as young preachers thought we were the next Billy Graham. God has a way of using life and people to show us otherwise. When you, the young Billy Graham, stands in front of the congregation and several of them are sleeping, you start to get the message. Some of you who sleep in church had no idea that you were having this great ministry to the pastor, did you? <laughs> Giving him a more realistic view of what he's really like. Yeah, we all have a tendency to over-exaggerate. Sometimes we under-exaggerate, and it shows up as false humility. Someone tells us something that we have done well. Oh, no, no, I'm not that good. Tell me more, tell me more. Oh, I'd love to hear more. We go that direction. Truth be told, a lot of us go both directions. We overestimate and we under underestimate at different times. There is a need to hear from others, to hear from God how He has wired us and how He has gifted us. Notice the phrase, the second underlying phrase, with sober judgment, and, with the, and the third phrase, with the measure of faith. A sober, realistic view of who you really are in Christ, not simply your own opinion, boastful or falsely humble, an accurate image of it. How does that occur? I am convinced most of us spend an awful lot of time about thinking about ourselves, how we're coming across. We are encouraged to be far more sober in our judgment calls about ourselves. In accordance with the measure of faith that God, can you trust God? Can you trust the people around you to speak accurately into your life so that as Proverbs 3 says, you trust in the Lord with all of your heart and you don't lean on your understanding? Today in pop psychology, one of the really popular words is the word narcissism. You've heard it. Some of you know what a narcissist is. Some of you are still wondering and you Google it because you're trying to figure it out. You know where the term comes from? It comes from ancient Greek mythology. A young athlete, a great athlete, named Narcissus, loved to look into quiet pools of water and observe himself. He loved the way he looked. He was a great athlete, and he was built for it. Oh, he loved to look at himself. A narcissist, therefore, is one who is consumed with themselves. They do not have sober judgment regarding themselves. They love themselves. People of the world, are all of us as human beings, can tend towards narcissism. But we're, when we are trusting God and the family that he has put us in to speak into each other's lives with soberness of judgment, 
we trust God by faith that other people have an accurate view of us, more accurate than our own. As a result of the salvation that you've received through Jesus Christ, first 11 chapters of this book, dedicate yourselves fully to the Lord, commit yourself to Him, and trust the body that He put you in to speak into your life. You can have a real ministry there, but you better be realistic, because when you're not realistic, nobody's going to really trust you. They're going to think you're out to puff up yourself or whatever. This is a side of humility that some of us have just not seen. This is why we encourage after a pandemic, it is necessary to come back to church, to not simply watch from home. We're very grateful for those of you online. Some of you can't get here. We understand that. But if you can, please come. We need to be speaking into each other's lives for the purpose of sober judgment. How realistic is your view of yourself? Oh, totally real. Really? Have you tested that recently against the view of others? Do you agree when more than one person speaks into your life saying the same thing? Or is it hard for you to look at that? Humility. This is our individual challenge in fitting into the body of Christ. There's a second challenge that comes in this passage, starting in verse 4, goes verse 4 and 5. It's actually a collective challenge to all of us, and that is we're to act in a unified way, we're to function in unity in the body of Christ. Now, this is kind of interesting. So you get a whole bunch of people who are not narcissists, but they're sober in their judgment about their giftedness and their abilities and, and so on as they work and trust each other and they grow in faith in Christ, just as each of us has one body with many members. I have a hand, two hands. Yeah, I have two. Yeah. I have two arms. I have two legs, two feet. Each of us have a body with many members, and these members don't all have the same function. Obviously, my hand don't do the same thing as my feet, and my eyes certainly don't do what my hands do. They each have their distinct functions. As we each have a body, many members, and these members don't all, all have the same function, so in Christ, we who are many form one body together, and yet each of us, we belong in this body. Each member belongs to all the others. There's a parallel passage to this in 1 Corinthians 12. A little bit comical as Paul expresses some of his humor. He says, suppose the whole body were a big eye. I mean, boy, you'd see great, but you couldn't do a thing. Suppose the whole body were an ear. You'd hear everything, but you couldn't do a thing about it. Some of you are ears. Some are eyes. Some are hands. Some are hearts. And when we all function together in unity, the body functions well. If we don't do that, if you're not playing your part, if I'm not playing my part, the body is disabled. As a result of your salvation in Christ, Romans 1 through 11, present your bodies totally to the Lord. First two verses of chapter 12, and then starting in verse 3 and following, act humbly and work together, function together in unity. This is where Paul is heading. He goes on. He says, yeah, a couple of underlined phrases. We are one body, and yet uh, 
all of these members of our body do not have the same function. Yes, you have a different function than I have. I have a different function than you have. But boy, we better both be doing our jobs or the body is going to be disabled. We will not function well. So to function in unity is the key factor here. We're all part of the same body. Now, I grew up in a church. Uh, I, I was a teenager in a church that believed all the spiritual gifts operated. That was fine. Uh, great church. I remember one day our pastor was preaching on the spiritual gifts. And at one point he said something that really alerted me. I'm a teenager sitting there in a seat. And he says, I just want you to know now, of all the spiritual gifts mentioned in the Bible, I think I have them all. As a teenager, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, so if you got all the gifts, what do you need us for? Good luck, see ya. You know, okay. There's something in the humility of this all that says, I don't have it all and you don't have it all, but together, we function together in unity and God's given us everything we need. This is a great moment to underscore that nobody's better than anybody else. You got more money than somebody else? You're not better than them. Who gave you the money? You're very gifted. You think you're better than someone else because you're very gifted. Who gave you the gifts? Humility has to speak at this level in our lives so that we can function together, each doing our own part, trusting each other and trusting God to work through us so the body is not disabled. I sometimes think that the church in the United States has forgotten this. And people sit in our seats every Sunday, and all the seats are lined up to face the platform. The show goes on up here. And sometimes in the imagery of what happens in the American church, people sit in the seats and they think, okay, team was great today or not so great today, the worship team. Preacher was on today, he wasn't on today. They make their decisions about what church they'll go to based on what happens on the platform. We have reduced the ministry of the body of Christ to a Sunday morning service in many levels. Church is much more than a Sunday morning. It's serving together throughout the week. It's being in each other's lives throughout the week. It's using you using your gift and me using my gifts and that together the body functions well. If we reduce it to a come sit for an hour on Sunday morning, watch what's going on on the platform, I got something out of today, I didn't get something out of today, I'm going to a different church, Whoa, have we missed the point. You see, we're probably now beyond the thinking that, you know, God maybe would lead you to a church that's just, that is dysfunctional so you could have a ministry there and help them. What about me? God will take care of you. He will. This is difficult for many people. But this is exactly what Paul is saying. As a result of this rich salvation that we have experienced in these first 11 chapters of Romans, it's going to change the way we live. We're going to learn to trust each other, and we're going to have our different gifts that God has given us, and, and we're going to use those gifts together, and we're going to function well together. Humility, 
and function well together in unity. Wow. Little different perspective for some of us. There's a lot of diversity in a room like this. That's a good thing. We can trust God that he has the people here that he wants here. And let's be humble and learn to work even better together than we already do. I am so grateful for the unity that we have at Calvary. I don't think we're done growing in those areas yet, but I'm so thankful for what we have. Now, starting in verse 6, we turn from the two challenges, the individual challenge to you for humility, the challenge to all of us to work together, to function together in unity. We're going to turn from that, and we're going to turn our attention to spiritual gifts, starting in verse 6. The first part of verse 6 emphasizes the diversity of gifts among us. It simply says, we have, we, each of us, we all have different gifts according to the grace given us. I've underlined two sections, different gifts and grace. We each have different gifts. Point number one, you got at least one gift, maybe more. Oh, not me. Don't go there. Spirit of God, when you were birthed into Christ and you received his rich salvation, he gave you at least one spiritual gift. That's the part you are to play in the body of Christ. Are you playing that part? Are you functioning in light of that gift? We each have different gifts, one or more. Frankly, some of you might be disappointed when you find your spiritual gift. If you've discovered, you think, well, I'm just not much. Tell you what, the body doesn't have that. We're disabled. That's how important it is. Think about the analogy of the body. Do you ever have an achy little toe and try to walk? Well, I'm not much. I'm just a little toe. Good luck walking when the little toe's hurting. Maybe the humility's gone a little too far and you're underestimating the significance of what God put you in the body of Christ to do. Well, there's a lot of people with my gift. Then there's a lot of work to be done. God didn't make a mistake here. Part of this whole deal is accepting the spiritual gifts that God has given you and realizing they come from God. They come from grace. A gracious God. We've each been given different gifts According to the grace of God, there's purpose in this. We've seen his grace in the first 11 chapters of this book. It was marvelous for his salvation. Now trust the same grace for the giftedness that he gives you. This is a beautiful thing. You can trust him. And you can trust that your life and your giftedness has true divine impact for a local body. That's why he gave you that gift or those gifts. Have you noticed among spiritual gifts that gifts vary in their ability? You know, some people have the gift of teaching, and some people are gifted with a stellar gift of teaching. Can you accept the quantity or the quality of your gift from God? Oh, work to develop it, surely. But part of humility says, this is what God gave me. 
That's what I'm going to use for him. If it's beyond me, I don't need to worry about that. He'll take care of that. That's up to him. This is the gift that he's given me. It's sort of like an orchestra. We live in the Delaware Valley. Whether you like classical music or not, we have one of the finest orchestras in the world within just a few miles of us here, Philadelphia Orchestra. One of the top five in the world, most critics say. You ever gone to one of their concerts? I'm always amazed when I hear a great groove like this. I mean, you hear the clarinetist with a solo line, and they're playing over the trumpets and all the... How do they do that? You hear the solo instrument. But would you notice... The clarinet player must play the clarinet part, not the cymbal part. That doesn't work too well. The trumpeter must play the trumpet part, not the violin part. That doesn't work too well. But when each member plays their part, their gift, together we make beautiful music. And that is the point. And none of us can do it all. We trust God to make beautiful music out of our lives, to touch the community and the world around us through the music that is produced here, through the humility that is exhibited in individual lives, through the tremendous unity amidst all the craziness and differences of the room. We function together with unity, show me something else like that in the culture. It ain't there. This is the result of the first 11 chapters of Romans, the salvation that we have in Christ. We each have different gifts, and they've been given to us by the graciousness of our God. He sorted it out just exactly the way he wanted to according to his divine purposes. Oh, I wish I could do more for God. Just chill and do what he has for you. Oh, I wish I didn't have so much. Just chill and carry your load by God's grace. Those of you who feel you have less to offer have less to be accountable for, don't you? Those of you who have stellar gifts will be held accountable for those. No room for bragging, only room for humility and working together in unity. Takes trust, takes humility. This might be a good point to just pause for a moment and talk about the difference of talents versus spiritual gifts. Every person on planet Earth has some talent of some kind, all talents are all over the place. We use them for individual entertainment, for relaxation, to kind of chill out a little bit. Some people make their livings doing something according to their talents. Spiritual gifts are different. When you trust Christ as Savior, we believe that each person that trusts Christ receives at least one spiritual gift, maybe multiples. And the purpose of the gift is not for themselves. You don't have the gift of teaching to teach yourself. You have the gift of teaching to teach others, to build the body up in Christ. And all of us have these gifts to work together to make the place better so the body can function well. Talents, natural abilities. Spiritual gifts, 
spiritual abilities to build up the body of Christ. Some of you wonder how you discover, you know, you're sitting there, I don't know if I know my spiritual gift, and some of you think, I know what my, well, that's good. Where do you discover it? How do you discover it? You can go online, and you can find a spiritual gifts inventory test to take. They're helpful. Some of them are even free. All the better. But do not think because you took a spiritual gifts inventory that you know what your spiritual gifts are. That's a starting place. That might be a place to begin. Oh, the inventory says I have gifts X, Y, Z. Well, then start serving in X, Y, Z and see what God blesses. You start serving in X, Y, Z and nothing happens. Guess what? You thought you had that gift and you answered the questions on the inventory in a way that, you know, I'm really interested. I like that. Emily and I know a guy that really thought he had the gift of pastor-teacher, and the church that he was attending, actually, after he went to seminary, they ordained him because he just kept harping on it. I have to give, I have to teach, I have to be a pastor. And so he finally got his first church, and in three years it closed. People wouldn't come anymore. He killed it. He thought he had this spiritual gift of pastor-teacher. He did not. But whatever your gifts are, you start serving in that area, and somebody comes up to you and says, you know what you did the other day? That just really encouraged me. I needed that. Oh, you didn't know that was going to happen. God's Holy Spirit came and took that and used it. He used your gift to build that person up. A little bell ought to go off at that moment. Oh, okay, let's try this again, see if it happens again. And start watching for the fruit that God brings through the gifts, that, how he uses you to build up others around you. It's a beautiful thing when the Spirit of God uses us. It really is. Now, in the rest of verse 6, 7, and 8, there's a list of some spiritual gifts. Hungry for this? Ready? Seven are mentioned here. I've underlined them. A man's gift is prophesying. That's one. Let him prophesy in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, that's the third one. Let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Seven gifts that are mentioned. In the New Testament, there are four passages that mention spiritual gifts. So we get a lot more mentioned in the other three passages. Some of these are repeated and some others are added. If you took the other three passages, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, if you looked at all four passages together and you listed the gifts, some are repeated more than once, some are just stated once, but if you listed all the gifts in those four passages, you would have 26 or 27 gifts. You say, what do you say 26 or 27? Can't you count? Of course I can count. There's disagreements on some of the gifts. For example, in Ephesians 4, there's a gift that is mentioned called pastor-teacher. Some wonder if it's a gift of pastoring and a gift of teaching, or if it's pastor-teacher, one gift. 26 or 27. As we look at the seven that are in our passage today, I want you to understand that, number one, we're really not sure that we have all the gifts that the Spirit of God can give mentioned in the Bible. 
I'm not saying there's more. I'm not saying there's not. I'm saying we don't know. There's 26 or 27 that are mentioned. Over 2,000 years, God has been using these spiritual gifts in different believers' lives to build up the body of Christ on seven different continents of the world, different cultures, different times. There may be more than these 26 or 7. Second of all, I would say that some would argue that some of the 26 or 7 are not operating today. They think they've stopped operating. Okay, I understand that. There are debates on these things. Some would think that there might be more than 26 or 7. Maybe as Paul gives three of the passages, Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12, this passage, Romans 12, he's sort of illustrating with spiritual gifts, but he never gives a complete list. Maybe there's more than 26 or 7. Maybe there is. Some have cited things like craftsmanship and music and other things, writing, and they wonder if those are spiritual gifts to build up. Maybe. Maybe they're talents that are used by God's Spirit. Well, I don't know. Here's what I do know. There are seven in this passage. Let's take a look at these seven. And maybe this can be a tickler to you to understand your place, now that you know Jesus as Savior, what your place is in the body of Christ to build up the body of Christ, to be an encouragement to other Christians. Maybe your gift or gifts are listed in this list of seven. Here are seven in one of the four passages. The first one, prophesying. The text says, if a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. What is prophesying? People immediately, oh, tell the future, right? Oh, boy, what's going to happen next? Well, the gift of prophecy could be that, but probably more likely it is a declaring, a speaking forth of truth. It's sort of like the prophets of the Old Testament. You look at them, occasionally they're telling you about the future. Most of their time they're saying, hey, you guys, here's what God says. It's a preaching gift. It could be foretelling or it could be telling forth, as they say. Preaching. Perhaps at different times, over 2,000 years, seven different continents, it's been used in different ways by God. I would say, looking at Bible teaching, Bible teaching literature today, it's probably a gift of proclaiming what God has said. Preaching. The second gift that is mentioned is serving. My goodness, there's an awful lot to do these days. We need lots of people with the gift of serving. Now, let's be clear. This does not mean that you are serving in a committee or in a teaching position in a local church. It could be you're serving people quietly behind the scenes in their personal lives. Sometimes pastors want to use passages like this to say, you servers need to step up. We need servants in such and such an area. Serve. Well, maybe yours is a behind-the-scenes type service. Or maybe it is service within the church in a more visible area. The third gift that is mentioned up here is the gift of teaching. If it is teaching, let him teach. You say, well, isn't that the same thing as preaching? No, preaching and teaching are two different things. Most of us as pastors, we have a mixture of teaching and preaching. Teaching takes a text apart and explains it, what the text means teaches what the text, declaring it or proclaiming it or 
preaching it is, here's what God says, straighten out your lives. That kind of an approach. It's declaring it. Most of us, as we preach and teach, we have a mixture. We explain and then we proclaim. We explain and then we proclaim. The next gift that is mentioned is the gift of encouragement. If your gift is encouragement, be an encourager. All of us know that these are tough times that we are in. Boy, there is a need for encouragement today, a real need for encouragement. Some of you have this gift, and it is your chief ministry. I want to say the world around you is knocking people down all the time, and you have a gift by God to go around and encourage people. God bless you. I would say you will never run out of work. Boy, it's an important work. Right before service today, somebody spoke into my life a word of encouragement. I'm thankful. We all need it. The fifth gift that is mentioned in this list is contributing. Some translations use the word giving. We immediately think of money because we live in a fairly affluent culture. I have a feeling in some third world countries of people that are dirt poor, it's not giving money. The gift of giving could be far larger than money. It could be giving time to listen, to care. Some of you who don't have much have the gift of giving, and you listen and you care. And people around you know it. It encourages them. Sixth is the gift of leadership. The text specifically mentions governing. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. Careful study of the word seems to be it is a broad word, meaning governing. It means administration. Could go so far as setting direction, or as we talk today in the Church of America, vision, casting vision for a church. Seventh is mercy. When I think of the gift of mercy, I often think people, oh, great, I got the gift of mercy. That's nothing. Are you kidding me? Do you remember the first 11 chapters of Romans? How merciful God was to us? And the 12th chapter begins, I, I, I beg of you by the mercies of God that you present your body. Just give back to him in light of all he's done to save you. Do you realize how precious the mercy of God is in our lives? People who have the gift of mercy tend to give you a break. They tend to be lower on the judgment spectrum. And they give you another chance. They care. They love in spite of what you've done. Boy, do we need that today in the church of Jesus Christ. Mercy. I would hope that this passage causes you to ask yourself some questions. Number one, do you know what your gift is? Following on that heels, do you know what your ministry is with that gift? This all implies that you are fulfilling the role that God has for you to play. Do you know what your role is? Have you seen specific instances where the Holy Spirit of God has used your gift to encourage another human being, particularly somebody in the body of Christ? God used you to encourage and build that person up. 
there's a ministry for everyone. I think of the words of Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 1 as he wrote to a young pastor. And he said to the young pastor, he said, fan into flames the gift that God has given you. Let the fires roar. Get out there and do it. Because this is another shot for us hearing at the end of our lives, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to balance this by saying some people are so stuck on gifts of the Spirit that they have forgotten about the fruit of the Spirit. Some people can become narcissistic in what they believe their gifts are, and they forget about the fruit of the Spirit. I've often been intrigued in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul talks a lot about the various spiritual gifts. He mentions a bunch of them. It's his longest passage. And two chapters later, in chapter 14, he compares two of the gifts, prophecy and tongues. What's in between 12 and 14? 13. What's in chapter 13? It's the love chapter. Fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Some people really need to focus on their spiritual gifts, but they also need to focus on submitting to the Holy Spirit that he would produce the fruit of the Spirit in their lives because you can have the most stellar gifts, but if you don't love, if you don't have joy, if you don't have peace, who gives a rip? You can become very narcissistic. But a person who is filled with the Spirit of God and has love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, right down to the last aspect, self-control, when they exercise their gifts and God's Spirit uses that, it is a beautiful thing. Imagine a church filled with people all in that process. We're imperfect at it, but God is using us to play some pretty beautiful music to the world around us. As we close this time today, let me challenge, preach, to those of you who might not know Jesus as Savior from your sin. Maybe you've thought you could be good enough to get your salvation to heaven. First 11 chapters of Romans is very clear. Nobody, preachers included, can do that. We're too deep in our sin. But Romans 1 to 11 teaches that God so loved us that he sent his Son into this world and his son died for our sins. He took the punishment, the penalty for our sins so we could be justified. We could have our sins forgiven. And when God forgives our sins, we become his children. He gives us and he gives us purpose. Do you have purpose today in your life? I mean real, lasting, eternal purpose. Here it is. This is why God made you and this is where you fit. Would you come to the Savior today for salvation from sin? That's where it begins. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Thank you for the beauty of this simple passage, Father. Certainly stating seven gifts, seven of the many that are available. We trust you as our God to give them 
the number and the quality of them to each of us as you see fit best. And may we submit to your hand in humility. May we function together in unity. And through it all, may Jesus be praised. May beautiful music be played for our community and the world around us. For those in this place or online with us today who have never trusted Jesus for salvation from their sin, by the power of your Spirit, convict their heart right now, pull them toward yourself, and may they ask you for that forgiveness of sin. Make them your child. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.